Hi, this is Jess Porter. Welcome to The List. I am speaking today with Christine Marshall from South Portland, Maine. Hi, Christine. Welcome, first of all. Do I talk now? Hello, Jessica. I have warned you that we shouldn't interrupt each other, so I do respect and appreciate your exceedingly long pauses before speaking. I'm gonna, editing is going to be a dream on this one for you. <laughs> I just want to explain to the listeners how we know each other. I moved to Maine and in like 2000, and I decided I wanted to get back into doing theater. And there were like a bunch of different theatrical groups in Portland, and I loved them, and I worked with A and then with B, but the real cool kids were at Mad Horse Theater. And I remember saying to myself, like, one day I'll work with Mad Horse. And then, I think it was the fall of 2001, maybe? I don't know. Someone called me out of the blue and said, will you audition for this play? And I think I couldn't for some reason, like the dates conflicted with something else, or I certainly wasn't in that play. So all the that you remember. And you, right. And uh, you were and are, I presume, just such an integral, you're like the heart um, of Mad Horse because you are mad, let's face it. Uh, agreed. Over. <laughs> I, it's really fabulous. I mean, I did that for 10 years, so I'm very proud and happy of it. And yes, it was a cuckoo time. I mean, I look at you, and I call you Clam because your name is Christine, Louise, and Marshall. I look at you, Clam, and I see this creative, whirling dervish. You're the kind of person who has to go to a party so you'll, like, make your costume that day, you know, or you'll paint a <laughs> pair of shoes or you'll have a party where you have to go into a corner of the house and develop a scene and present it for the party. I mean, you seem to be a very naturally creative person, and I realize I don't really know that much about how you grew up. How did that come about? I flat out destroyed my mother's linen closet because we had a linen closet uh, when sometimes kittens would be born in the bottom. And I destroyed it, making capes and wraith-like sleeves to be worn through wooded journeys to far-off places. So I've been wearing extra sleeves and capes uh, and headpieces for as long as I can remember. Uh, and also my mother sewed. She sewed, and she was so devoted to a pattern. She was so devoted to it. And... Um, when I started sewing, she was like, you're going to ruin the fabric, like no matter what I bought. She's like, you can't just lay something down. Like a, you like these pants, so lay them down on the fabric and you cut them out and you make basically the same thing. She's like, you can't do it that way. But sometimes I did, you know, and, you know, in terms of engineering, there were some big, big uh, mistakes and there still are. But I love making something to put on a person and see them be fabulous. So uh, that's been a part of what I've done always, always, always make a costume. <laughs> it's just, and I'm, and I'm a fan of making a costume to this day. 
there was a movie called The Orphanage, a horror movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's beautiful. And there's this, like, little boy, and he's got a little, he's wearing a little pinafore, a navy pinafore. He's one of the orphans, and he's got these cuffs and a little round Peter Pan collar and these little boots, and he walks with a limp, and you can hear him breathing through this little mask, this dirty little mask that's on his head. <laughs> he's a spirit, yeah. right? Right. And, um, and I love the image, and the movie is heartbreaking. It's as heartbreaking as it is scary. And so we're watching it around Halloween one year, and Michael goes, you know it would be great if you would make that as a costume? And I was like, on it. And I made, I'll, I will text you the picture, I made the costume and I put it on. And he, I was like, look. And I came around the corner and he goes, take the fucking thing off right now. That is horrifying. I can't watch. Like he freaked out. He's like, this is the most terrible mistake I ever made. Because, and, then, and then we went to a party. And I, and I stood, I would, I would stand behind him quietly uh, when he didn't notice and then start making that little breathing noise. And it was one of the most joyous nights of my life. Um, oh, my God. Repeatedly oh sickening him in a, in a tiny little <coughs> ghost orphan costume, which was actually like a five-foot-eight ghost orphan costume. Right. That's my story. So here's the thing. It's not just costumes. You're a really, really good actress and a really, really good director. And I'm sure you've, like, tried your hand at set design. No? Yes. Yes. I'm uncomfortable with positive so comments. Can I talk about you for a second? Is, sure. All right. So I just want to say that um, getting Jessica Porter on stage with me in a show that I was putting together or be in a show with her because I have gotten to do both. That solidified a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like you made it okay to fart on stage. And I'm going to say that on your podcast. You can go ahead and edit it out, but it happened. And we all know it happened. And she was cool with it. And I was like, God, thank you for that. Because, you know. Like that it was part, a- which let's explain, I was coming up from a lying down position to sitting up. Oh, and I perfect. just like used my perfect abs and went up and I farted and it was such a small yeah. theater that everyone heard it but I was oh yeah a suicidal alcoholic so it worked exactly oh no no I completely it was the, everything was perfect but in the beauty of it too is that I don't um because I was not on stage with you there's no way an audience member would ever m- meet me in the future going down the road and be a bar be in a bar and be like oh oh, you farted on stage and know that, and we'd look in each other's eyes and we'd both know it um, because I wasn't on stage with you. It was only you and Lisa Muller-Jones, and I was like, ha-ha, it's up to them, you know? Nobody's going to blame me for that one. But you also taught me it was okay to do it. Like, let your ass say some lines as well. It was really a great, a great lesson. So let's do the list. So I'll begin. You will appreciate this, Clam. I just got kittens. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. And they're little. Uh, they're not so little. They're probably five or six months. I got them a little late in their lives. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to kittens, you really want kittens when they're like ten weeks old. You can put them in your yeah. armpit, you know. But yeah. they are litter mates, male and female, tuxedo, so oh. mostly black but with white markings, and. Mm-hmm. I've had them for a week now. And, you know, kittens. Do I need to say more? Like, I do 
adore them. I just uh, named them a couple days ago. It took me a while. His name is Ziggy because he has like a lightning bolt sort of white stripe down his face like Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. And then I'm naming her Cher because her coat is just so shiny and black and it reminds me of Cher's hair from the Sonny and Cher show. So I just want to generally start the ball rolling with kittens. Gratitude for uh, kittens. Um, I am very, very grateful for this almost 18-year-old kitty that is sitting between my legs right now. Wow. I have 50% of the cats that I had because she had a brother. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, she's changed, you know, she's changed. And I think we just found out that she's deaf. And all these years, all the sounds that I've made that I associate with her, the call I give her, all of those things, I realize, like, they don't, uh, maybe she never heard any of them. Um, and I, was, I felt bad about that, like, but, but very briefly because it seemed like a waste of time. So uh, now I just make sure when I say I love you, which is pretty much all day, I say it right into the top of her head so she feels the vibration mm. anyway. Mm. And I've always done that. I always talk into her. I've, I've talked into mm-hmm. her forever. But it's nice. Uh, I'm very grateful to have this little uh, shape that I hold tight all the time. This reminds me of another way in which you're very creative, Clam, which was one year you made, you melted down chocolate and <gasps> reshaped it into like cat poop and then yep. gave it to people in little boxes of like cereal litter. And yeah, it was so like, Merry Christmas, love, Boris and Natasha, your cat. Yeah. And it yeah. was one of the best things anyone's ever done. They're so good. We call them, and if you do multiple colors of chocolate, it's much more realistic. Uh, there's a little bit of chopped almonds, and the picture says Christmas crafts with the P crossed out, and the tagline is, we made them ourselves. <laughs> so I was thinking when you were talking about costumes and stuff, I don't know if you're familiar with this performer named Taylor Mack. He started in New York City, was in like sort of underground New York drag shows and did his own stuff for about 20 years. He's now in his mid-40s. And he did a show called the, forgive me, or if I screw it up, Taylor Mack, but I think it was called the 24 Decade Song Cycle. And it was doing songs from every decade of American history. And the original production of it was at St. Anne's in Brooklyn, New York. And he, it's a 24-hour show. Every decade has an hour devoted to it. And he did it once in 24 hours. There were mattresses in the theater, and he stayed awake. So then he got the MacArthur Genius Award for it and took it on tour, and I saw it here in L.A., and in L.A., it was four evenings of six hours apiece, and in those six hours, he never leaves the stage, and he does costume changes every hour, and first of all, Taylor Mack himself is, I think I can say, like, the greatest performer I've ever seen. I mean, it makes you realize... Really? Yeah. Most performers, you don't want to hang out with for six hours. Or even four. You know, like two is enough because there's a certain, like, ego element to someone who's doing their own show that 
ultimately over time starts to go, you know, I've had it, you know, you're great and I've had enough. Like, let's go home. But right. Taylor Mack, he's not just singing and he's a great singer, but he's teaching. And it's so theatrical and it's really enlightened. He's a very, very deep human being. And so you can just go in and go in and enter and enter and enter. And the thing about this show is that every, he has a 24-piece band behind him. And every hour, a member of the band leaves. So by the 24th hour, it's just him playing a ukulele. It's extraordinary. So my point is, he has a costume designer named Machine Dazzle. And Machine Dazzle <laughs> comes on and off during the show and helps him change into his stuff. But Machine Dazzle is off the chain or hook or whatever the word is these days. Like he's whatever the kids are saying. Extraordinary. He needs to be like followed on Instagram and liked everywhere. And I mean Machine Dazzle comes in at one point like dressed as a Christmas tree or what I mean the costumes are incredible and memorable and so well done. So I encourage you to look up Machine Dazzle and Taylor Mac because I think you would really dig both of them. But that's my second gratitude is just Taylor Mac and Machine Dazzle. I'm, I'm amazed I've never mentioned them on this podcast before because the, the four nights in L.A. that I got to see that, I was like, I feel honored to have been able to see this. And why didn't I think of just sitting in a theater for many, many hours as long as I feel like I can stand it while people pay to watch that happen and, and feel ashamed now that I haven't done that and I'm, no, I'm irrelevant? Um, no, honestly, Jessica, I really appreciate it when you tell me about things. I'm grateful for learning about things that I know nothing about and having gotten to a point in my life where I'm better, I'm not going to say good with, but I'm better at not immediately turning it into something shame-based. That's something I've been working for a really long time on, that my default is shame, and it happens mm. instantly, so that the, the joy you feel at a positive event or experience um, is just fleeting. And then you tear it apart. You tear it apart like mm -hmm. some savage, mm -hmm. you know, Guillermo del Toro creature in Pan's Labyrinth, right? That's who I am a lot of time in, in my own head. Um, I'm just that. So, you know, I do, like, you're telling me that means that I can take that and pay attention to it and process it and then maybe talk to my students about it. So I'm also just very, very grateful for the opportunity to um, not have time to go to that place because working with students means I, I can't, ha like my ego can't be more important than um, mm. what they need. So now I can look this person up and, sh and shame on me for not knowing who they are, right? See? See how fast that happens? And then... Um, you find a way to potentially make it part of the learning process. Like, this is a type mm -hmm. of theater. What can you do? What, what types of theater do people do? You know, I think that's really... Um, so thank you for that, and I'm very grateful for um, uh, getting a little tiny bit better at not just living in the shame. <laughs> I mean, I haven't got that I mean, much time left. I've got to get over it eventually. I know. I keep thinking with a lot of things I want to do, if not now, when, you know? 
because right. you start to realize like it's all you know there's only so much road left but I just want to say clam that mm. I completely relate just not about the reason I was able to sort of enter Taylor Mac and believe me the first night I could only stand four hours of it and I went home because I was like ah I was having a bit of that response and then the second evening I meditated really deeply before going because I was like this guy's good like I want to be able to let it in and not have my ego continually throw up like aggression and anger that he's so good and right. I feel that way about comedy. I don't watch stand yeah. because I don't enjoy it. If someone's good at stand-up, I hate them for being good. And if they're bad, yeah. I hate them for being bad. And there's no joy in it, frankly. So I completely get it. And the truth is, like, you are much more a Taylor Mac machine-dazzled person naturally in terms of your creativity than I am. So it may be more hurdles for you to enjoy him, but I encourage you to look, and I love what you're saying about teaching being this like bypass of that mechanism because you got to be in the world for those kids. Obviously, like over the last couple of years, there's been such a shift in the way we absorb performing arts, which I'm fascinated by. I'm noticing it in movies. I know we're going off topic. Like in movies and things and television, I'm noticing the difference in the scale of uh, things that are being shot. Um, we're seeing much mm. more... Uh, you know, interpersonal relationships in, in narratives. And I'm mm. so grateful to see genuine, thoughtful, sometimes long storytelling being done because mm. uh, I think they, because people haven't been able to shoot large crowd scenes and let's add more people to this. Mm -hmm. um, there's a program right. On right now called Nine Perfect Strangers, which is just spectacular acting. Yes. super yes, strong, extended scenes where they work. Like anything Michael Shannon does is a primer, you know, just watching him work is stunning. But they let these scenes play out in a way that I think has become more prevalent since you can't have as many people on a set or shooting anything. So storytelling, I think, is being, I hope, is being positively impacted mm. by necessary changes that had to be made to filmmaking and television. I have to believe something positive artistically is going to come out of the pandemic. And I think I, we see it. I love that. Yeah, I think it's happening. You're right. I'm watching the US Open, the tennis, and um, I'm really grateful for these two young women who, by the time this podcast comes out, we will know which one of them has won. But today is the women's final, and it's an 18-year-old and a just-turned-19-year-old one of whom has basically come out of nowhere, meaning she came from the qualifying rounds. And one's from Britain and one's from Canada, and they are beautiful and they are on fire. And as a tennis fan, you know, I've really loved watching Venus and Serena for a long time. And, you know, there's a when you fall in love with a player, you kind of don't want them knocked off their pedestal and it's sad to see them, you know, age out or get injured. And I kind of resented the startup, you know, the upstarts. It was like, oh, get out of here. It's Serena's world. Right. But Serena's not even in the open and I don't think Venus was either. But I mean, Serena's turning 40 this month. So these girls, I mean, technically women, but girls 18 and 19 are so good. I mean, like, yeah. stupid good. You watch their tennis, and it's as strong as what men's tennis used to be. But beyond that, because they're so young and they have nothing to lose, 
And like no emotional, mental crust has built up yet, no expectations, no self-recrimination. I mean, we're even seeing it in Naomi Osaka, who's like 23. She's like almost done because you can be this blooming flower, but that industry and the business and the responsibilities and the grueling aspect of that whole world can really take somebody down very quickly. And I hope that doesn't happen to these girls. It doesn't have to. Like, it didn't happen to Serena and Venus. But they are fantastic, these two, Layla Fernandez and Emma Raducanu. They are fantastic. And they've just been exciting to watch because they have bitch slapped every single person in their past. Like, I think Emma Raducanu has not lost a set yet. So exciting. It's really exciting to see them. And it's just kind of like just the energy of youth and the the sort of naiveness of it, the sort of inherent cleanliness of it in terms of not being like traumatized yet, and the power, just the I've got nothing to lose power. It's just beautiful to see. Space for an edit here. Just leaving room. It's not that I'm not fully engaged in what you're saying, and I would be like interrupting you constantly were I not restraining myself extraordinarily, just so you understand I that. I get it. I feel the same I don't same know how long way. these gaps are supposed to be. Um, I hear what you're saying. First of all, um, I love live sports, and I'm a huge Olympics fan, and I did spend a lot of time this mm. summer watching the Olympics, mm. and I realized that I'm a day sport fan, not meaning like... Um, I watch sports during the day, but rather I love the sports they show during the day on the Olympics because they're the ones that people don't seem to think are interesting enough. And I love those Mm. sports. I love crew. Mike looked obsessed with ping pong this summer. These sports that create specific bodies. First of all, you need a specific body to be good at it right off the bat. Like you Mm -hmm. notice in a lot of gymnasts, this balance between their body above the hips and below the hips. So clearly the fulcrum of their body is made for balancing or Mm. um, swimmers are often very tall. And then you start to see what the sport itself does to that body, like a speed skater with those wily coyote legs, Mm -hmm. little Mm -hmm. tiny, no muscle, muscle to speak of in the upper body. And, or that, you know, it's of course they're 0% body fat, but like the thighs are just unnaturally huge. I love looking at how our human bodies are suited or not to the sport we're in. And it's fascinating when you see someone who's unusually tall or short, who doesn't look like the type. I think that watching it, speaking of women's tennis, like watching what's happened recently in terms of people finding their voice in all of the madness of what a person becomes when they become famous, and particularly women, um, all of the mm-hmm. stuff that happened with Simone Biles this summer. I think, and, and I, think I'm, I think I'm grateful for people being more advocating for themselves and for the, the people around them more. And I know that that also might be naive because I'm sure there are just layers and layers and layers. But maybe it's for it being harder for people to conceal that. The downside mm-hmm. of, of social media and technology is that sometimes things are seen or said or heard that nobody should ever be forced to share. Um, mm-hmm. Private, private moments, right? The upside is that the horrible, the, the, the animals out there, it's a little harder for them to hide. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. When, people, when people hurt young women who are trying to move forward, it's, it's getting a little harder to hide. It, it was extraordinary watching the Olympics this year and hearing this, the way the stories are told shift a little bit. 
why why do the girls have to wear tiny little leotards? Mm-hmm. Right. The, the men wear footy pajamas in gymnastics. So right. let's let them wear footy pajamas if they want. They get a little feet. You know, it's the most, it's the most impotent looking, and it never changes. It's always sort of a loose-fitting footy pajama pants. You know what I'm talking about, right? And they get up on the bars and they swing around in their little feet. It's even rounded in the toe. It just is ineffectual looking. Um, you have to work hard to get past the foot. I do. I'm really grateful that summer is going to be over. I know you're in Maine and fall is absolutely fantastic in Maine, obviously. But I feel like summer in L.A. is just more of the same. Like it's hotter and the sun hangs out longer. And I like it, but I really, really, really love fall and winter in California. It's just so beautiful. So I'm just really grateful that we're turning that corner of the year. And by the middle of October, like, you know, the nights will be cooler and I'll be able to leave my windows open and sometimes over 100 degrees here and uh, like bring on the fall, bring on the fall. Plus I'm a redhead. I just look better in the fall. Like I I try and pose next to deciduous trees and be like, hi. (laughs) I try to pose next to deciduous trees. Jessica Porter. So, yeah, I'm grateful for the fall coming. I'm grateful that I've begun to like the fall because it's extraordinary here. It is a beautiful thing. But I also began to realize several years ago that my deep dislike of the fall had everything to do with having to leave the house with the books and the nerds and go to a place where people were inexplicably unkind and where being proud that you were smart was not cool. You know, mm. and where you sometimes make clothes that you had cut out of fabric without using a pattern. I, 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 I did not like going to school, and yet my behavior probably put me in a position to be seen as a weirdo. So it's only in recent years that I have begun to not feel um, sort of free-floating anxiety when I start to smell the air change and think, oh, shit, here it comes i got to go out and meet people again. And ironically, now I'm teaching in a school. So it's like forcing that, um, to find that joy in that. It's beautiful. I'm really, really glad that I'm getting to, getting to love the fall. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do, totally it's fun. Venmo. You had asked me before, it was, uh, was it cash or Venmo? We can cash out or Venmo. We can do Venmo. <laughs> that's fine. Um, just, we did go a few minutes over, so just that's going to be added on to the invoice. And why can't they wear the cute little outfits they used to wear? It ruined tennis, which is a man's sport of sleeveless sweaters and a good pair of linen pants and a head shaped like a peanut. Uh, the last scion of your strange sociopathic family. You know, you look like a Q-tip and you bang that thing around until you murder your third wife. I don't know where any of that came from, but that's how I see tennis.